0: Scriptures come from four different places tonight. The first one is John 10, 37, and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. The second scripture comes from John 14, 10. Do you now believe? Our scriptures come from four different places tonight. The first one is John 10, 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. The second scripture comes from John fourteen ten. Do you now believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The next is John 16:7 and 13. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things to come. The last is John 17, 20, and 21. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be in one, just as you, the Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, God. Well, tonight we, we're going to kind of start looking at The idea of the Trinity as a model. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be invited in uh, to the Trinity himself. The Greek fathers had this idea of the church being an icon of the Holy Trinity. And an icon is a picture, Uh, that's an icon uh, that's used to facilitate and promote worship. And the idea was that the church should reflect to the world the inner life of the trinity that when people come into a church and begin to experience the way we relate as a church like we were just talking about that they'll have this sense of huh something is different about the way these people are relating that reminds me of of god or points me to god you know the way you think about god and how he relates uh, will determine uh, how you relate and the way we think about God and how he relates will determine how we relate as a congregation. Now, if, if you look back through church history, and that's something that we're doing a bit of in this series, because we didn't just get the scriptures delivered to us, hermetically sealed, with no reflection on them. We have the scriptures being reflected on by the church for 2,000 years. So we've been looking at how the church has reflected on the inner life of the Trinity this fall. And there are two models that uh, God's teachers have come up with to describe the way the inner life of the Trinity works. The first one uh, comes from more of the West, Europe, uh, the Latin-speaking part of the Church. And that part of the Church looked at the text that we read tonight and said that the Trinity relates like a triangle... With not quite like that triangle, we'd, we'd tweak it just a little bit so that the, the Father is on the top, and the Son is here, and the Spirit is there. And in, in this model, uh, there was a hierarchy. And what was stressed in this model was that the, the Son would submit to the Father, and the Spirit would submit to the Son. And and that was the way they thought about how God worked. They stressed hierarchy, rank, and order. Uh, And not surprisingly, uh, the the medieval world was very much influenced by the the theology of the medieval church. And so the medieval world was very much ordered on the basis of rank and, and authority with kings and the son of the king and the prince and the lords and the ladies all the way down to the peasants. And the church picked up that same kind of thinking and and ordered the church that way. So you'd have the pope, and and the cardinals would be like the princes, and the priests would be like the lords, and you and I would be like the serfs. Um, So there was very much a hierarchical order to it. Now, doctrine does develop over time, and it develops in different places in different ways. So while the West was thinking about the Trinity as a triangle with God on the top, and the Father and the Son submitting to him... The East, in other words, the Greek-speaking church, uh, starting in about the 7th century, looked at those same texts, and about 50 more, and concluded, you know, we don't see it so much that God is like uh, a monarchy with a king on top. We see the Trinity as more of a circle dance. And uh, evidently, that was a very common form of entertainment and and even worship in the Greek-speaking world. And John of Damascus in the 7th century coined a term, a Greek term, peri, which means around, koresis, from, to dance. And he said that the, 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 the Trinity is perichoretic in the sense that it dances around with each other. It, it, it participates in a circle dance. And, and you see this mutual weaving in and out, this inner penetration and then this separation, and it all flows in and out in um, a circle. Now, whereas the West emphasized the Trinity, and again, we'd probably tweak it so the Father's on top, the East emphasized the Trinity as more of a circle, because when you look at that icon, if you look at the whole picture, it's a little bit hard to see who the Father is. They're seated around a circular table, a round table, they're all deferring to each other. If you look at some of the artwork from the West in the Middle Ages, it's it's a king and the son and a spirit. Now, um, a very famous Greek Orthodox theologian named Bishop Callistos Ware wrote a paper on this icon talking about how he sees them relating. And he said that uh, the Father is saying to the Son, You're my beloved Son. The Son is saying to the Father, Abba, Father. And the Spirit is setting His seal on the whole interchange. And so you've you've got a very different image of the Trinity there of, of, a, of a dance, a mutually indwelling and interpenetrating dance. Uh, Tim Keller, who um, Lawrence loves Tim Keller, and so if I want him to agree with what I'm saying, I always quote Tim Keller. Uh, he, he puts it like this. Each of the divine persons centers on the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity... Loves, adores, first two, and rejoices in the others. This creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity stayed kind of stagnant for most of the Middle Ages. There wasn't a lot of development in the thought. But then in the 20th century, a lot of Western theologians found John of Damascus. And they went back and they rediscovered this idea of the circle dance, the perichoritic dance of the Trinity. And a lot of these theologians loved it and said, you know, this is a better model. We, we don't like uh, the, the hierarchical model. We like the circle model, um, where if a church looks like a circle dance, there's as little hierarchy as possible. Uh, members are empowered to join the dance wherever they can. Power is decentralized. It's hard to tell who's leading Love initiates and structure supports. Relationships are marked by mutual submission, openness, and freedom. There's a bit of holy chaos. There's joy and delight and passion. Now, one of the things that I've found as I've studied all this uh, for about six months now is that these two views of the Trinity uh, are, are at war with each other a little bit. They're sort of fighting each other. The circle people see the triangle people as oppressive and musty. Uh, The triangle people see the circle people as radical anarchists. (laughs) And so there's this debate raging among the four people that read about these things um, (laughs) about what the Trinity is like. Now, now of course, it does matter because how we envision God will determine how we relate as a church. Now, I want to look at the four texts that um, uh, Mary read for us, and I want to ask the question, well, which is is it? Is it more... God is the king, and the Son submitting to the Father, and the Spirit submitting to the Son. Is it more about uh, authority and submission and order, or is it more about uh, an egalitarian circle? Which is it? Well, let's look at the first one. Read it again quickly. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, Jesus says, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. Now, what I see there is, on the one hand, we do have uh, a hint about order and and hierarchy uh, because Jesus is doing the Father's works. But on the other hand, uh, we see the mutual interpenetration of the circle dance because the Father's in Him, He's in the Father. So I think we see both. Now let's go to John 14.10. Do you now believe that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So what do you have? You have uh, mutual interpenetration, Father's in me, I'm in the Father. That's, the, that's where the circle dance comes from. They're weaving in and out of each other. They're both in each other. They're in interpenetrating in each other. Uh, they had a Latin word for it called circumcessio. Uh, it, it, it's this very intimate kind of weaving and dance. But on the other hand, you see some, some order there. Jesus is submitting to the Father. He's saying he doesn't speak on behalf of his own authority, but of the Father's authority. Now let's look at the third one. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things to come. So here, uh, you don't see all of it, but you see Jesus sending the Spirit. You see the Spirit not acting on his own authority. So this would be a passage that would suggest that there is some kind of of order and and, uh, submission in the Godhead. And then one more, John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Now, this is the, the text that talks so much about the inner penetration. And this talks more about them being One with each other and relating to each other in mutual submission and deference and love. And I I think if we go back to the icon, both things, I I think it was that verse that might have prompted uh, Rubiev to try to draw what Jesus was talking about there. Um, Because again, in in this model, you see more of them looking, uh, deferring to each other in mutual submission. Now, C.S. Lewis looked at these verses and he said. The most important difference between Christianity and all other religions is that in Christianity, God is not a static thing. He is a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. So, what have we found? The scriptures describing the inner life of the Trinity suggest that the Son and the Spirit joyfully submit to the leadership of the Father. So we do find some order, some leadership, some some authority. But the scriptures describing the inner life of the Trinity also suggest that the Father, Son, and the Spirit mutually submit to one another in an eternal dance of love. So we find that both the Western model and the Eastern model have biblical support. And both models are open to abuse. And both models contain truth that we have to pay attention to. So, let's go back to this idea of the church being the icon of the Holy Trinity. That that somehow uh, our little church should act that way. Um, That that, that there's a sense in which we should reflect in the way that we're together uh, the inner life of the Trinity. What would that look like? Well, I, I think it would mean... That there's leadership, and I think it would mean that there's a great dance. Now, next week, we're, we're going to look at John 17, 20-21, and, and look at this idea, which is really mind-blowing. And the deeper we go into this, the further we go into mystery, the harder this is to understand. I appreciate you guys trying to un- parse it a little bit there in that interview. Next week, we're going to look at this fact that God exists in this great dance, and that you and I have been invited into the dance. That's a mind blowing idea. But what it means is that everybody in here is, is part of the dance. Uh, and, and I think one of the things we'll look at is where you look around you and you see spirit energy flowing, and you look around you and you see divine connectivity happening. That's a sign of the dance that you're a part of, and that can take place in your office, that can take place in your neighborhood, that can take place in your prayer closet. All of you are dancing. Now, some of you may not realize that you're a part of the dance, and one of the roles of leadership is to to help you find your place in the dance. Uh, My daughter's a senior in college. She's working on her big dance project. Sandy's going to go up and see it next week, and part of the project is that she's to... uh, recruit and choreograph a dance piece. And she's been working like crazy on it all fall. And uh, she envisioned the piece. She's found the music for the piece. She set it into motion. She called dancers into the piece. And then she trained them. Now, one of the things that Sandy won't see when she goes up to watch that piece next week is our daughter Sajan. Because the choreographer isn't a part of the dance. And so I, I think one of the things that happens in the church is we are supposed to help each other learn our role in the dance, to learn what our dance is supposed to be. So another thing that you noticed in that little Greek circle dance that broke out in the mall a few years ago is somebody must have taken initiative to make that happen, but you couldn't really tell who they were. I mean, there was a guy that started out. Maybe he was the leader. Uh, Somebody, I guess, decided to call everybody together to do it. Somebody decided to um, have the music played. But when the dance got going, you really couldn't tell who the leader was. And, And so there's this very interesting dynamic that goes on. And I think that's kind of what happens in the church is, yes, there are leaders who sit back and think about the kind of music we're going to play, the kind of song we're going to sing as a church. But then once it gets going, you can't really tell who's leading. Which creates a very interesting leadership dynamic, because leadership is there. That that wouldn't have happened without leadership. But once the dance gets going, everybody starts to lead. A long time ago, I was in a church service, and uh, it was a beautiful worship service, and the spirit just moved in a certain way, and, and the next thing I knew, people were leaving their seats. And they were, they were all going around and linking arms, and they started a circle dance. And before I knew it, the whole uh, room was, was emptied, and I was swept up into this circle dance with all these people that I didn't know. And I was having fun. I was also scared to death. I thought, where is this going? And I thought, this is really cool. And I, I wonder if that's not a picture of of what the church can be, that as we sing the music of the gospel, as we worship the music of the gospel, that a dance breaks out and we get swept up into it. And it's a little scary, but it's also very exciting and thrilling. And it's uh, it's kind of out of control. But it is controlled because there's someone who's uh, protecting the dance floor. It's his odd, odd tension. So, one of, the things, one of the things that I think leaders do in a congregation is make it possible for people to dance. Now, this has been challenging the way I think about leadership. Um, I think I would say now that the role of leadership is not primarily to ask the question... How can we start something? I I, I think as I'm studying the Trinity, I'm I'm thinking that our role as as leaders, wherever we are leading in the body, is not, what can we whip up? What new things should we tackle to get people excited? Um, What programs do we need in order to get folks to do stuff? I think the more I think about the Trinity is the question that that a leader asks, and this would be true whether you're leading a small group or wherever you're leading, the question a leader asks is, where do I hear the music playing? Where are people dancing? How do I come alongside and support that dance and make sure they don't get hurt and make sure they've got space on the floor? It's a very different way to think about leadership. It's really sort of keeping me up at night. Um, Wendell Berry, the, the, the poet and farmer, he says, the first thing that a farmer should do when he gets to a new piece of land is not plow it. He says the first thing that a farmer should do when he gets to a new piece of land is to listen to it. And that you don't start plowing and planting until you've listened to the land. So in a similar way, as a leader of a congregation, uh, the first thing that I think we should try to do is listen for the music. Listen to where people are dancing and come alongside. Um, here's, here's another way that this has kind of changed the way I have thought about this. Is uh, In the past, often people would come to me, and I'm saying past now almost 30 years, uh, and they say, Pastor, I've got this great idea for ministry. And the, the implication is that I think you should do. Uh, we could start this. We could, uh, we'd like to have a, this kind of a social event. We'd like to start this kind of a ministry. We'd like to have this kind of a worship service. We'd like to start this kind of a class. And my orientation was, first of all, do we say yes or do we no? Let's go to the board, see if it fits our mission. And then... Uh, okay, thanks, great idea, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put together the resources to make sure that happens. And now, uh, the, the way I'm more apt to, to lead, when you come and you say, I've got this idea for this ministry, I've got this idea for this social, I've got this idea for this worship service, I, I, I think a better response is to say, wonderful, let me know how it goes. Come tell me. How can I help you do that now again there's order and freedom order and freedom order and freedom both models are true and so there are times when a leader says no we're not going to dance that way here because it's going to trip up the other dancers there are no's and not now's in leadership another way that this plays out again one of the things we think a lot about is how do we connect people here And the way I've always thought about it in the past, it's my job to connect you. You come, we build a structure, we get you connected. Now as I'm thinking about this, I'm moving more to a model that goes something like this. And we've talked a little bit about this, is that you come in, you want to be a part of our church. I ask you, where is their music? Where are there people that you're already dancing with? Who is is inviting you to dance? And then we wrap structure and support around Around that. Um, The last illustration I'll give. That's changing my thinking just a little bit. Is. It used to really bother me. When. Some of you would get connected. uh, Primarily. In in ministry and community. Outside of all souls. And. And. I see a lot of this. It's just sort of the way the body of Christ in our our city works. Some of us are entirely ensconced in all souls. But some of us have networks of relationships all over the body of Christ. And sometimes that really worries me. Because I feel like if I don't know where you are, and you fall through the cracks and get hurt, that's my responsibility for God. What What am I supposed to do with that? Or if you don't come to church for a while and you, maybe you're really active and you've sort of pulled away and I don't see you as much anymore, I, I worry about you. I wonder if you've fallen through the cracks. It, it makes me nervous and so we try to follow up and I still think we should do that. But Here's what I'm finding when I'm following up with people and, and catching up with them and, and meeting with them in my office. The, question, the last question I ask is, so, should I be worried about you? You're not in that small group anymore. You're somewhere else, and I, I don't know where you are. You're not here very much on Sunday nights. And so I worry about you. You tell me, should I worry about you? And about 80% of the time, the answer is no. I'm dancing. You don't see where I'm dancing, and I'm not dancing with people that you might always know, and sometimes my dance intersects over with this dance, and sometimes the dance is over there, But I'm still dancing very closely with some people, and I'm okay. It's a very different way, at least for me, to think about what ministry looks like. So order and freedom come out of this model of of the Trinity. There is structure, there's order, there's boundaries wrapped around the freedom of the Spirit. There's release, and yet there are uh, boundaries and stops. So I'll end with with, with this, asking you to... to to think about this a little bit over the course of the week. Where's the music playing in your life? Where is the dance going on in your life? And then, if you have the presence of mind to think about it, or the Lord shows you something, what I'd like to hear is, if you don't mind emailing me or just sharing this with somebody else, What kind of leadership best supports your dance? What do you most need to keep dancing? And that's what I think we need to work to provide you with. Let's pray.